Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The gospel lesson for today is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. This can be found on page 960 of your Pew Bible. John the Baptist was sent by God to announce the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and to prepare the people to meet their Savior. John urged them to turn from their sinful ways and to give themselves wholly to God, lest they suffer the consequences of following their rebellious hearts. A reading from Matthew chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Happy Advent. Wow, that was kind of pathetic. Is this a happy Advent? Happy Advent. <laughs> that was way better. We don't normally say happy Advent. It's kind of, I, put, I kind of stumped you. We don't normally hear that phrase. A lot of people start saying Merry Christmas, but I'm one of those people. Yes, I'm this much of a stickler. I actually wait until it's Christmas to say Merry Christmas because I observe the church calendar, the season of Advent. What is Advent. Well, it's a little more than a month preceding Christmas Day in which Christians for the centuries have celebrated two advents, two arrivals. The first coming of Christ when he came in the person of Jesus Christ as a little baby. We join with the people who waited for 400 years for Messiah to come. But we also eagerly anticipate his second coming his next advent, his next arrival, when Jesus returns to earth in glory. 
That's what we celebrate when we celebrate Advent. We wait. We wait to say Merry Christmas, but we wait for his coming return. This is what Pastor Heather led us in so well last week of how to celebrate Advent, waiting for his coming return. It's been said, though, that there are actually three Advents, three arrivals. There's the first coming, there's the second coming, but then there's the Advent, there's the arrival whenever Jesus enters our hearts. When any human heart receives Christ, that is the third Advent. And it's that third Advent that today's scripture really helps us prepare for. John the Baptist says, prepare the way of the Lord. And he instructs us how to prepare our hearts for that third Advent, how to prepare our hearts to receive Christ. I've been thinking about this all week as I've been preparing this message, and I've realized that today's message is really for the person who's not yet ever received Christ for the first time. I'm aware that on any given Sunday, there's at least one person in this room, or listening online perhaps, who hasn't really fully turned their life over to God, who turned their life over to Jesus Christ. So this message is really designed for you. The rest of y'all can listen in, (laughs) but it's designed if you're listening today and you think, you know, I don't know if I've really ever done that. I don't know if I've really ever received Christ into my heart. This message is for you. This word from John the Baptist. Who was John the Baptist? Let's learn a little bit about him. I'm going to skip around the verses a little bit. Matthew chapter 3, beginning with verse 4. It tells us about this man teaching us how to prepare to receive Christ. Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now, this sounds kind of strange to us, doesn't it? It sounds like a real charmer of a guy. Why is he wearing this? Well, this was an obvious reference to an Old Testament figure named Elijah. When people heard what John the Baptist was wearing and what he was eating, they would have thought, oh, he's invoking Elijah, this Old Testament prophet. There's a number of Old Testament references in this story. This is one of them. Elijah was out in the wilderness. He was eating locusts and honey as well. They would have known what this means. This was somebody who was calling them back to God. Think of it this way. If a politician arrived on the scene in our time, and if he was wearing a stovetop hat and had a beard and a big black coat, and if he came onto the scene and he said, I have come to emancipate you from tyranny. What would we know? Who would we know he's referencing? Yes, yeah, see, I didn't even have to say Abraham Lincoln, but you knew. So John the Baptist out there in the wilderness, dressed up like Elijah, people know, oh, he's calling us back to God, like Elijah did. And his message really resonated with a lot of people because there was a bit of a messianic fever in the region. People were living under the boot of oppression from the Romans, and they couldn't wait for Messiah to come and free them from their enemies. So he gathered a lot of attention, as it says in verse 5. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. 
John was bringing them through the ritual of baptism and confession of sins, all in preparation. If, listen, if you knew that there was a, a figure on the scene, uh, in many ways considered the last of the Old Testament prophets, this is John, pointing the way to the coming Messiah. If you knew that Messiah was coming, if you knew that God was coming onto the scene, you'd want to get ready for that. So they were getting baptized, they were confessing their sins, they were cleansing themselves to meet God, see? They were coming into close proximity with the coming and promised Messiah. They were doing more than just confessing their sins, they were doing what John was calling them to. Let's look at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John is calling us. He's saying, do you want to make the path straight in your heart? Do you want to get ready? Do you want to rearrange the furniture for the guest who's about to enter into the home? You have one job. Repent. Repent. What is repentance? Repentance is simply turning. Repentance is turning from the ways of sin to the ways of God. Repentance is turning from doing things my way to doing things God's way. Repentance says, Lord, all of the patterns and behaviors that I find myself stumbling into, I don't want to do those anymore. I want to do things according to your plan now. So I turn, I repent. It's different than confession. Confession says, I've sinned against you. Repentance turns towards God. It says, I release control of my own life. That's a scary thought. Unless the one you're releasing the control to is good. That's repentance. I release my control. I want you, God, to do your job of being God. I'm tired of it. That's repentance. It's simply turning. Now, who finds it hard to relinquish control of your life? Yeah, I saw some hands raised. It was actually a rhetorical question. I was leading up to the next verse, but thank you for your honesty. People who are in control. People who are in control of their own lives, their own surroundings. And this is where we meet these Pharisees and Sadducees, these guys in control of the religious institution, the temple. Let's find out how they respond to this whole call to repentance and how John speaks to them, how John speaks to people like us, those of you who raised your hand, and if I'm being honest, myself as well. If I think about who I relate to in this story, it's the religious leaders. I literally am one. <laughs> so, unfortunately, this is me in the story. You'll see why I said unfortunately as we get into it. Verse 7. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, I want to stop right there. I just really want you to picture these guys. If you've seen the movies, you know, like the Jesus movies on TV or whatever, these Pharisees and Sadducees, these are the guys in the big hats. You know, they're, they're in charge of the temple. They're, they're wearing robes of righteousness. They're in charge of keeping order. They're very important, very self-important probably. It's an amazing contrast. You picture John out there wearing his camel hair. 
is kind of a wild-haired, wild-eyed guy eating bugs out in the wilderness. And then these guys come out in, in their costumes, you know. And they look pretty important and pretty in control, see. And we don't know, we can't really tell from the text if they're actually getting baptized by him or if they're just curious of what's going on out there with all these crowds. I wonder if attendance was low in the temple and they're wondering where their parishioners went and they're going out to this activity out there in the wilderness to check it out. What does John say to them? You brood of vipers. Wow. I remember when I was in seminary in preaching class, we did this text, and the professor said, don't look your people in the eye when you say you brood of vipers. You brood of vipers, right? Um, brood of vipers, the offspring of the serpent. He's really calling them sons of Satan, which is a huge shock if you think about it. These guys thought of themselves probably as the good guys. They follow God's law. They enforce God's law. They keep order in society. They're the good guys. And they arrive on the scene, and John says, here comes the bad guys. Here comes the brood of vipers, the sons, the offspring of the serpent. And it even gets worse from there. He continues, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He's probably referring to Jonah here. Remember the Jonah story we looked at a few Sundays ago? Jonah arrives in Nineveh and he warns them in 40 days the wrath of God is coming. The Ninevites were the worst type of people. They were cruel. They mistreated people. They enslaved people. They were just awful. And uh, uh, John is saying, you guys are no better than the Ninevites. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then he says in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. John could see the fruit of their lives, the fruit of all this self-importance, all this self-righteousness, all this control. And he says, you're bearing the wrong kind of fruit. What's the fruit of repentance? If you think about it, if you've really done the act of repentance, if you've turned from your ways, your own desire to control everything, and you've really turned towards God being in control, you would start bearing the fruit of that. Humility, maybe. Humility saying, you know, all the things I've been trying to do, my life my own way, they weren't really working out for me anyway. I'm going to start doing things God's way. That's humility. Gratitude. You might bear the fruit of gratitude if you were repentant. Saying, you know, all those patterns and those sins in my life, they really need forgiveness from God. And look what God has done to forgive me. And you start to live gratefully. So humility and gratitude. If you know anybody who's humble and grateful, they've probably done the work of repentance. But John looks at these guys and he says, you're not bearing the fruit of repentance at all. What's the fruit that he saw in their lives? Well, we get a little window into it if we look at the way Jesus described the Pharisees in the Gospels. Jesus said a few things about the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. In other words, they say one thing, but they live differently than what they're saying. Hypocrites. He said they give too heavy of burdens on people. They were controlling there was the law of God, but then they added laws onto the law of God in order to control the people around them. That's the fruit 
of their unrepentant hearts. Jesus called them the blind leading the blind. Did you know that phrase comes from the Bible? The blind leading the blind. It's almost like there was a heartbreak in that. Jesus looked around and he saw the flock. He saw the people of Israel and they were blind. They needed guidance. They needed help. And he looked at who were the supposed shepherds of them and he said, you guys are spiritually blind. You don't see what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be leading these people to repentance, but you're not. You're the blind leading the blind. And ultimately, Jesus called them murderous, which would prove to be true when they turned him over into the hands of the Romans who killed him. Why were they murderous? I think it was coming out of that place of control. Jesus was leading a revolt, a movement that threatened their very existence, so they had to get rid of him. This is the fruit of an unrepentant heart. What happens to the bad fruit, the lack of fruit in a person's life? Verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Uh, One more thing before we get to what happens to the bad fruit. Verse 9 says, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Don't presume, he's saying to people who are self-important. Don't presume, oh, you're the children of Abraham, you have a good pedigree, you have a good legacy, you have a big, important job, you have really nice colleges on the bumper sticker of your car, you have the corner office, you have the last name. Don't presume. That's not what prepares your heart to receive God into your life. None of those things prepare you for what's about to come. Repentance does. Show me. Bear the fruit of repentance. Verse 10 is, gets even harsher. If you can stick with me for another couple of minutes, he gets even harsher on the Pharisees and Sadducees. That is to say, people like me and people like some of you who are honest enough to raise your hands. Even now, he says, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, tree therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Whoa. Does anyone have a garden in your home? Do you trim the bushes or the shrubs or the trees around your house like I do? When there's a branch that's dead, you cut it off, and we have a little bonfire in the back of our house, and we just throw it onto the fire. It's useless. It's not growing any fruit. So we put it into the fire. Our favorite tradition in our house is we do this with the Christmas tree in early January. It's so much fun. This thing is so dead, and there's a little bit of oil in it, so it just lights up. My kids love burning the Christmas tree. (laughs) But we do it because the tree is totally dead. It's useless to us. We take the ornaments off of it. There's no sense in keeping it. This is what John the Baptist is saying. If you're bearing fruit, if you're bearing bad fruit, not the fruit of repentance, God can't use it. Think about it. The unrepentant fruit that we bear, the fruit of being in control, of doing things our own way, like the Pharisees and Sadducees were, God looks at that in us and he says, I can't use that. It's useless to me. It's like a dead Christmas tree. But you bear the fruit of repentance, humility, and gratitude, and God says, I can work with that. That's why John the Baptist says, you want to prepare the way for Christ to come into your life, repent. Because when Jesus comes in, he's looking for the good fruit. He's looking for the humility. He's looking for the gratitude. He's looking for the surrender. Now he can work with that. Now, this sounds like a really harsh word because it sounds like there's judgment. 
it sounds like God's going to come in and throw things into the fires. And is he speaking about the fires of hell here? Well, actually, yes, he is. The unrepentant parts of our lives, the unrepentant bad fruit that we bear deserves the fire. But here's the really good news. John the Baptist wouldn't even have been able to see this, that when Jesus came onto the scene, yes, he would separate the wheat from the chaff, the good fruit from the bad, the bad fruit, the dead Christmas trees that deserve the fire. But Jesus would come on and he would say, I will take the fires of hell. I'll take the consequences of all that bad fruit, the consequences of all your sin. And I'll take that upon myself on the cross so that you don't have to. And he still calls us to repent, not out of fear that we're going to go to hell, but out of the freedom of knowing that he's paid the price for us. And it's a loving call now when we repent, when we turn from our ways and turn towards him. We repent to prepare the way for Jesus to come in to our lives. The whole story points to Jesus who comes onto the scene after John the Baptist. Verse 11, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John is saying, you know how you're still dripping wet from that baptism? I just saturated you in water. Jesus is going to come onto the scene. Jesus is going to come into your life, and he's going to saturate you in something way better than the waters of baptism. He's going to saturate you in the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who will allow you even to turn and repent. It's the Holy Spirit who will rearrange the furniture in your heart so that the guest can enter in. It's the Holy Spirit who will allow you to loosen your grip on all the things you control in your life and to open your heart to God and say, Lord, you take over. The Holy Spirit will do that. This is the third advent when Jesus enters into the human heart. We actually know the third advent. We sing about it at Christmas. In O little town of Bethlehem. You know this song, right? The fourth verse. Can you sing this with me? Can you put up that lyric, Max? O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. That's the third advent. That's when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and Jesus is born in us. He can work with us then when we've surrendered our lives and we've surrendered our hearts over to him. I mentioned at the beginning of the message that I just had a sense all week that maybe there would be somebody here who would want to receive Christ for the first time. I don't know. You don't have to tell me who you are. God knows. But for you and for all of us, I just really want to slow down on this moment. I want to maybe take the mystery out of how this happens. I want to take the mystery and the intensity out of 
repentance. It kind of sounds intense, doesn't it? The preacher standing up there saying, repent. It's like, what? Whoa. Let me just try to take the mystery. I just want to show you visually what this looks like. I want to just kind of walk us through this. So whether you've never done this or you've done it for the hundredth time, this is how it works. I want to describe the difference between confession and repentance. Because repentance is really what we're being called to do by John the Baptist and by the Holy Spirit, to really receive Christ. So what's repentance? Well, picture this now. Picture, picture me talking with God. Okay, just imagine that I'm in conversation. I'm in communion with God. I'm seeing him face to face. This is how we're designed to live in this type of face-to-face, harmonious relationship with God. But sin enters our hearts. And what sin does is it it has us say, you know what, I'm going to do things my way. And we turn our backs on God. And and we say, I'll do it my way. (laughs) And it breaks God's heart because what he really wants is to be in relationship with us. Confession is, you know, when we say, Lord, I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Now understand this. You can do confession without repentance. You can say, Lord, I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I've done and what I've left undone. Thank you for forgiving me. Maybe you've been coming to the communion table for years and you've been confessing, but you've never repented. Repentance is simply saying, not my way, but yours now, Lord. I turn. See, repentance is turning. Every time you hear that word repentance, just think turn. And we turn back to God and we say, you know, Lord, all the ways I was trying to do it on my own, they led to destruction. So I turn back to you. I want you to take over my life. And maybe you've never done that. And maybe you haven't done it in a while. It's only the Holy Spirit who can actually allow and empower us. And actually, when you think about it that way, you realize that repentance, the call to repentance, is not so intense. It's not so severe. It's actually a loving call, isn't it? God says, come back to me. How are all those ways working out for you anyway? Not so good. Turn to me. Turn to God. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and prepare the way in your own heart to receive Christ. Holy Spirit, I ask that it would be true what John the Baptist said, that when Jesus comes, he would baptize us with you, with the Holy Spirit. Will you come and baptize us now? Will you saturate us? Will you, Holy Spirit, do what my human sermon could never do, what human will could never reach toward on its own? And will you come and will you loosen our grip of needing to do things the way we think we should do them. Of those sin patterns and behaviors, those rebellions that we turn our backs on you for. And will you turn us, Holy Spirit? Will you teach us how to repent? Will you prepare the way in our hearts? And then Jesus, just as we celebrate you entering into the world and your birth, will you enter in? Will you be born in us today?
Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.